When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. I'm your host, Ajit. In today's episode, we are looking forward to the finals of the Cricket World Cup after, uh, I don't know, 10 years of matches or whatever. So to <laughs> help me uh, unpack that, we have a friend of the show, someone we know very well from the Giri Lovers, Messi. Hello, Messi Jess. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ajit. It's lovely to be here. It's it's strange having a day with uh, no international cricket to watch, so it's <laughs> nice to be able to speak with you. Absolutely. Apparently, we won't leave it alone. We'll still want to talk about it, even on our days off, isn't it? Indeed. Indeed. Although I'm pleased to say that there's plenty of Sheffield Shield cricket and uh, Big Bash women's Big Bash cricket to keep me going in, in the off time. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Sheffield cricket as well. I mean, just that I'm not yet able to catch up. There's enough other things going on, but I will switch. I know the feeling. (laughs) So for me, you know, the Cricket Australia app, they offer live radio commentary of the ongoing games. So it's a good way to, you know, start early on in the day if you're in Europe and just keep company uh, with some cricket in your ear. So now coming back to the main matter at hand, did you catch? I think you did. (laughs) I heard you on air on both the semifinals. Uh, I I did indeed. I think there's only uh, six games throughout the whole World Cup that I haven't been on air for. So, wow. yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of cricket over the last six, seven weeks. Um, and yes, I did watch them and I actually enjoyed them both very much. Perfect. So let's start with the first of the two semifinals. I mean, uh, India winning the toss and sort of a perfect template if you're an India fan. Absolutely. I mean, once India won the toss. It was no coincidence that the odds against New Zealand winning suddenly went out a very long way. To be honest, I think uh, the way that uh, Rohit started, uh, there was an expectation that uh, it would be so far beyond New Zealand that it would become very dull, but it didn't. Hmm. Um, and I, I really enjoyed the game. I thought in the circumstances where <clears throat> that loss of the toss was huge, uh, New Zealand did an extraordinary job to get as close as they did. Yeah, you know, a few few breaks their way, and it, it it could have been much closer than it was. Indeed. So, if we start off with the Indian innings, first of all, the way Rohit and Shubman started, indeed, um, Rohit was out in the ninth over. Score was already seventy-one. They had the platform in place, sort of what you want in a big game. Uh, no shakiness right at the top. You know, India have. Occasionally had these glitches right at the top where they've lost one or two wickets inside the first five, eight overs and then sort of then scrabbled to try and recover. 
nothing nothing doing of any sort like that here that's one thing uh but then well kohli comes in in form builds on that with gill and by the time gill has retired hurt well at least they have made it in such a way that 164 is the score when gill retires hurt so again it's a very comfortable place from which the indian rest of the indian batting order can dominate which they did duly indeed i i think it was actually very very it was perfect spot for gill to actually take a break anyhow um <laughs> because it it was it was warm enough and he was knackered i mean he i can't remember how many he was on at the time probably in his 60s 79 um, or something i think that much right hmm. and um it was you know he wasn't scoring particularly fast at the time i think he was feeling the heat and yeah. the fact that he wasn't seriously injured was just perfect to have a break let somebody else come in and if he needed to, to come in later which he did uh so it worked out very nicely for him i mean it's not that he and coley hadn't done and sharma hadn't done the work to get to a stage that being possible uh mm. but it couldn't have worked out much better for them i don't think well at least the one thing he would be disappointed is not carrying on to his 100 because he had 100 for the taking he was slowing down you're right he was scoring comfortably at 130 strike rate and by the time he retired he was 120 and dropping so he was feeling the uh, the conditions but kohli kohli simply carried on and shreyas ayer joined him and they then put the pedal to the metal as they say and then well no looking back until kohli was dismissed in the 44th over having made yet another 100 the 50th commit the big gar commit the big man indeed i mean there is something just so imposing about kohli and he played some beautiful shots i there's a little bit of me that says that because of the the occasion maybe india could have got 20 or 30 more runs if rohit hadn't been conscious about coming towards sorry virat hadn't been conscious about coming towards his century hmm. uh, because through the late 80s and the 90s he was relatively cautious and then once he got to his 100 he started hitting out and he got out and that was fine um the other other thing that occurred to me is it may sound an odd comparison but i do see some similarities between virat kohli and stephen smith in the first mm. innings of a match in, mm. in that he's um he is very much the anchor around which others can take liberties uh and it worked very very well for india in these circumstances he's a different animal in the chase because he's he's not so much an anchor he he's the tiger that's going after it with a very conscious idea of the rate that's needed uh but this one was about giving other other, other people license where while he continued to score at a decent rate i thought absolutely i mean he was the anchor he was the ballast so that people like shreyas rahul could express themselves which they did another wonderful 100 for shreyas just uh, you know 60 odd that balls was- Yeah that that was a superb 100 and I think in a way underappreciated because all the eyes were on Coley. <laughs> uh but it was mm. wonderful to watch. I mean he, the fact that he hit eight sixes in that was quite extraordinary. Absolutely. Uh, and on any other day it would have been man of the match material. I don't think there's much to hurt. No, absolutely. Uh, it, it was superb. That that 100 gave the impetus so India were also at some point in time really 350 was never in doubt but then the thing that pushed india closer to 400 was that that knock by ayer he got his own 100 back to back 100s again sort of putting to bed any sort of doubts about his suitability or his you know his uh, his hunger for the top top occasion but of course rahul followed with a almost flawless what sort of a knock you would want surya failed and then i don't know why they actually sent gill out for a ball or two but that's okay maybe they thought you know with five balls left he yeah. can really if he has it in him to hit five big shots why not go for 100 I and mean, that would have been too much yeah. he did, that didn't happen but rahul <laughs> finished very consummately so 397 i mean batting first uh, saudi unfortunately got 100 of his own <laughs> uh between him and trent bolt they were a bit costly towards the end lucky ferguson is never yes. preferred right to bowl out yeah that's a problem i mean the 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 indian uh, sorry the new zealand was bowling was much less disciplined than it often has been in this tournament uh and i think that was very costly to the marian i mean obviously they they were facing an onslaught 
from Sharma in particular at the beginning. Mm. Um, but I don't think they reacted to it particularly well. They didn't keep their lines all that well. Uh, mm. And uh, it was unusual for Bolton Sati to be as expensive as they were. Yes. I mean, one of the highlights was how Sharma took on Bolt right at the start because Bolt is usually the danger man. When, uh, yes. yeah, with the new ball, he, he tends to do some damage right at the start. But Sharma ensured that was not going to be the case, right? So, anyway, after having blunted them, I see the only thing I had a point, if anything, if you're not going to bowl Chapman, why not have Nisham in the 11? I know Chapman is a very consummate batter. He has a lot of backing from the management, but I thought uh, Nisham's finishing skills with the ball could have been handy. I think yeah. that's exactly right. I, I I think that was a missed trick for New Zealand. And, uh, you know, Chapman can, uh, sorry, Nisham can bash it around a bit when you need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the truth is that uh, New Zealand's tail, they were said an impossible task in the end, but uh, there was no fight left at all, uh, which I would have expected at least from Jimmy Nisham to, to hit out a bit with some success. Right. I mean, that that's meant to happen, you know. If you were to look at the New Zealand uh, chase, Conway and Ravindra, very crucial, both of them. One of them needed to go on, right? Conway had faded well, uh, a little bit. Yeah. Yes, I, I think both of them have have tailed off a little bit towards the end of the tournament in terms of their batting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think that you just got to give credit to the Indian opening uh, spell, uh, right. particularly Boomerang. Uh, it, it was just unplayable. Uh, and the, the scoreboard pressure was on from the start, chasing 400. Uh, and the truth is that Ravindra was all at sea. Uh, mm. When he got out, uh, he was playing you know, a good two or three feet from his body. He wasn't moving his feet at all. Mind you, that's not un- uncommon in white ball cricket, it has to be said. Mm. Um, but I'd hate to, to be facing the prospect of Bumrah in that sort of form. Uh, he's, I know he only took the one wicket, but I think he was a key to that containment. No, absolutely. Uh, and of course, Shami as well. If you were to think about it, if you were to go one step back, I think Bumrah was not really on point to start off. Uh, Conway was looking good. He looked like he could go on, uh, build that sort of, you know, the anchor in a huge chase. Uh, but then it fell on Kane Williamson because both the openers failed. They couldn't get going. So Kane Williamson took on that job, but they were a bit slow, if you were to think of it, uh, by the 10th, 12th, 13th yep. over, they were still a bit slow. But by the 30th over, what a comeback where scoring at seven runs an over, Williamson going at almost on a ball, exactly what you need in that situation, like a Kohli like knock, right? Daryl Mitchell was that. Absolutely, aggressive. very much. Yeah. I agree. I thought Williamson was, was brilliant uh, for what he does. Um, but when he tried to put his foot down is when he, he got caught on the boundary. And that's sort of the way it's going to be with someone like Williamson. He he is a really, you know, a decent runner ball ODI player. Uh, but in terms of acceleration, he really does find it tough. Uh, and that's that was a huge flaw because that wicket of Williamson when it fell mm. was really the start of the end for New Zealand. I think there was a bit of byplay there where... You see the way they celebrated Rohit and Shami, it was a plan uh, that they set up yep. Williamson. That there was going to be this fielder in the deep that either Williamson did not spot or thought he could hit finer of him. But it went straight to the fielder, Surya Kumar Yadav. And that, that plan came through. And in the same over, Shami took out Latham. I mean, now we have to speak about that spell of Shami where every time he came to the crease, he oh. took a wicket in the first over. Whenever his captain wanted, he turned to Shami and he comes back. He's dismissed the top five batters. What else can you ask for a you know strike for, bowler and a for a guy who wasn't even in the the first eleven? Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's extraordinary in his success. Mm. Um, I mean, he, he's he's the key to England, India's win, obviously, at the end of the day, uh, because the penetration just wasn't there for the other bowlers, was it? Correct. I mean, Jadeja was also a bit pedestrian, strangely. He was collared one yeah. big hit every over. And that's thanks to Darren Mitchell, how Mitchell played. Mitchell looks to hit in the V. He's comfortable, right? And then yeah. once 
Williamson was dismissed and Latham was gone then Phillips sort of came in he took his time he knew if you take the game into the 42nd 43rd over still 12 and over if these both are together they can probably try and chase it down but then finally yeah. Bumrah was brought back and then by then you know Bumrah even on his off day I think he's too good uh, in the death over absolutely overs. absolutely those uh, two or three overs where it was uh, what was it Bumrah and Shami I think just shut it down for three overs and suddenly the run rate went up and the pressure was so great that it made it almost impossible from there on for New Zealand Absolutely. And from then on, unfortunately, it became a procession. Daryl Mitchell yeah. needed some attention on the field, but very deservedly, not only did he hit 100, but he kept going. He kept trying to take New Zealand home. He waited if he, I mean, maybe Chapman can get, get on, Santner can hit nothing, nobody, maybe Saudi can hit nobody in the end. And then he, he was out. But then what happened in the end was simply an inevitable thing because there was so much scoreboard pressure and I mean, you needed something, you needed like a Glenn Maxwell like knock from the 37th, 38th over to take this home if you are a New Zealander. That's where I thought maybe yeah. Nisham, but I mean, maybe it could have been a bit too far for him as well. Yeah, I, I think that that's right. And there's, you know, there's nobody who's, who's anything like a Maxwell that's going to be there. And, you know, let's face it, Maxwell's only going to come off one in five or six times. Mm, mm. Uh, but Mitchell's amazing. He scored over 1,200 ODI runs this year at an average of 52. Right. Uh, and a whole lot of test runs as well. He's he's just become absolutely vital to New Zealand. Hmm. Um, and, you know, with, with Williamson coming towards the end, at least he's a little younger than Williamson and slightly to carry on for a while, I'd imagine. No, absolutely. I mean, that is there, but also probably less prone in terms of his body. Uh, maybe he can he can be the next... What shall we say? The next uh, bulwark of this batting order. Latham needs to yeah. kick on, but Latham has some, you know, he brings a lot of good things to the team. You saw how him, between him and Phillips, they built the innings uh, in that game where yeah. New Zealand started. So he has his qualities, but probably this is not going to be one of the games where he would shine through. Nonetheless, yeah. you know, New Zealand have nothing to be ashamed of. They played really well. I mean, oh, the, I mean, there's no doubt that India were a, a better team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but New Zealand played extraordinarily well, given the fact that they don't have the same level of talent that that India obviously have. So to do as well as they've done has been fantastic. That sounds very patronising, I know, but uh, at the end of the day, I, I think they've got a lot of hope for the future, particularly with Ravindra coming through this tournament in a way that nobody anticipated. Absolutely. That's the main thing. Look, Conway is a proven entity. Sometimes he sort of flags off towards a big tournament and it, we know that. Williamson maybe has one or two good seasons. Latham Phillips set up their one-day setup and our limited over setup looks very, very good. And they have been churning out good results. The last five uh, World Cups, five semifinals and two finals, right? So, well, yep. one day they'll win. One day they are going to win. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. Not yet is unfortunate. Right. <clears throat> yes, yes. Oh, well, fingers crossed. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Now, uh, from that... Um, sorry, just one other thing in relation to India. Mm-hmm. Um, the one bowler who I... I mean, I know Jadeja didn't perform particularly well in this match, but uh, I'm prepared to forgive him for that because he's he's so good. Mm. The, the bowler, I think, is of a little concern for India is Mohamed Shiraj. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had my druthers, I'd actually prefer to see them pick Ashwin than Siraj for the uh, the final match, but I don't suppose they will. All right. So I think uh, we'll go there shortly. It'll really depend on the pitch. Ahmedabad has two sort of pitches. We've actually seen that when they did two test matches back-to-back during the corona years. I yep. think they'll go for the harder pitch, the one which will support the fast bowling, but also which means it could be a slightly higher scoring sort of uh, game, which is what you want, yep. right? Given the yep. World Cup final. So on such a pitch, I must say Siraj should be the starter ahead of Ashwin. Because two spinners is all you would need. And two of India's spinners who are sort of on song, Ashwin and sorry, Jadeja and Yadav are more than enough. You would want the cushion of uh, the pacer. And Siraj has it in him to do well in big games. We've seen what he did in the Asia Cup final. I mean, you would hope that Siraj turns up. 
right, when it comes to uh, the finals. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, the counter I would put to that is hmm. that I think Australia are very vulnerable to spin. Yeah. And if they they get a reasonably fast track, I mean, no, it's not going to be really fast track at uh, yeah. Ahmedabad, but uh, a reasonably fast track, uh, the, the pace on the ball suits uh, Marsh and uh, Warner and Head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the key for Australia is in at least one of them going big. If if none of them goes big, Australia's dead already, I think. Absolutely. Um, I, I'd be inclined to be looking at uh, having a spinner on by the seventh over uh, mm. against those guys if they're still there. Because, frankly, their performance against spin is highly, highly suspect. Um, and I think... You look at what Warner and Head did the other day. While there was pace on, mm. uh, they went crazy. But once the pace goes, uh, much, much more suspect. Sorry, we haven't uh, talked about the second game, have we? So now we will go there. Then. We will go there. So it's okay. I mean, it's okay to actually do a quick preview while we are talking of these things. I don't expect any change in the Indian uh, Indian eleven going into the yeah. final. I mean, why would you? Because. No. Um, I don't think either either team would change. Um, right. I think that's true. No, that's that's the right thing because otherwise, you know, you are in a bit of problem. That's provided Shubman Gill is. It was just cramp for Gill, was it? I just think it was the conditions and cramp because the very fact that he came out and then also fielded for a part of the second innings, I think he's okay. Yep. Yep. Right? That's what I figured. All right. So, well, we've had a quick chat on India's uh, team going into the final, so that's all right. So, before we get to Australia, we should probably see how they got there to the final. So, again, win the toss, bat first would have been ideal for South Africa, isn't it? Well, yeah, except, Hmm. except, Hmm. uh, I wondered even at the time, uh, whether Australia would have been better off to choose to field if they'd won the toss because of those conditions. I mean, it it was conditions we haven't seen so far in this tournament. It was it was heavily overcast the whole time, high humidity, and uh, not so hot as to make it unbearable to to field in, hmm. as we saw. Right. And you know that that opening eight overs in particular. From Australia was easily the best I've seen them bowl all tournament. Easily, mm. Hazelwood's line and Stark's uh, swing made it a really, really difficult batting experience for South Africa, uh, and they came at a level that they haven't been anywhere near to in the tournament so far. Basically, this match was decided in the two first ten-over power plays on each side. Hundred percent right. So. First of all, Australia seeing that it was not a bad toss to lose, really, simply because uh, they're bowling. They have two world-class test match specialists who actually came bowling as if it was a test match in the starting of the innings. And, well, Quinton de Kock, Bauma, you know they're good, but then this required something else. This Only probably Quinton de Kock on his best day could have done what was required. Bauma was our dismissed for a duck. Quinter de Kock just three, but 19 for one in a World Cup semi-final after the first 10 hours. There's no coming back from that unless, you know, something extraordinary happens. And no, 19 for two. Two even. I'm sorry. Yes, two. Yes. So, and Rasif Anderson not going anywhere. I mean, he looked completely at sea. Yeah. Eden Makram had the tools, but then he was also dismissed just after the 10 hours. So, I mean, at 22 for three in the 11th over, well, You've almost given over the game. Um, it's very tough to come back from there simply because this is a semi-final. This pitch will need you to make 250-plus. Yep. But then a lot of credit to the way Heinrich Klaassen and David Miller played. They got a little bit of a break. There was a rain delay. Uh, that meant you know they could go back and regroup. But then yes. uh, they had this discussion, where are we? Four down for nothing. Right? And then the rain delay. And then they came back. They built up beautifully. I think Heinrich Klaassen... And David Miller, if Klaassen had played another 5-8 overs, that could have been the difference. They could, they could have together made it to 250. But then he was dismissed by a uh, part-timer head. 
right? Seeing how well Zampa was tackled. Zampa had a completely off day. And that's a good thing if you're an Australian team, isn't it? You want him back firing uh, his off days out of the way in the final. Uh, yes. I mean, Zampa has had uh, a dreadful history against South Africa recently. <laughs> um, because they haven't let him settle into a rhythm. And he's sort of got the yips. I frankly don't have confidence that Zampa will do much against India either. Hmm. I don't I don't think he's got um the the guile for men who are really, really used to dealing with spin. Um so I'm not particularly confident of Zampa doing very well in the final. I think if Australia is going to go well, they'll do it with their pace hmm. and maybe with a little bit of luck from head and and Maxwell, to be honest. Anyhow, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself again. All right. No worries. <laughs> no worries. Look, I think Miller played the innings of his life. Given Absolutely. it was given it was the condition where he had to come good, or it was I meant Australia would have bundled South Africa out for a 145 or 150. Right? Yeah. So he hung in there because even when Classen was dismissed, the score was only 119. Right, so yes. from there, 150 all out is potentially possible. And Marco Janssen went right away, first baller to head again. Head comes in; yep. he shows his importance to the team, both with the bat and ball. He reminds everyone why he's so important to this Australian eleven. Yep. And then Kudse and Maharaj sort of hung in there. They had nothing going because it was a really tough, tough bowling attack to come in and simply for Kudse. I think a lot of credit there. He hung in major. At least South Africa would get to 200. Right, and then, yep. Maharaj and Miller. Maharaj and Miller. I mean, I expected Miller to go hammer and tongs, which he well, he was going to uncork. He hit a six to get to his hundred, and then was promptly dismissed. Unfortunately, Cummins. Cummins also found a bit of form. Cummins has not done anything of note this tournament. Josh Hazelwood pitcher perfect. Mitchell Stark again, big match player coming in at the right time, making sure you know um, at least. From the start, he now has his tail up going into the final. So, two twelve. Absolutely. And I tell you what's odd about Hazelwood too is that, I mean, he bowled amazingly well in the power play, but overall he still only bowled eight overs, but took two for twelve. Now that's right. that's just <laughs> quite extraordinary. Um, he he was in some ways for me he was a player of the match, you know, because without that Australia wouldn't have yes. a chance. I mean, between him and Stark, I thought they shut South Africa down to such a point. If there was no rain break at that stage, yeah, South Africa would have been bundled out under hundred. I think they were nowhere. They had nowhere to go. Right? Yeah. They were in such a such a jam. Anyway, but coming back, what you said right at the start of this analysis, the way Head and Warner started, they killed the game off right there. Oh, that that was sixty for no loss. See, I was predicting at the start of the innings that Australia were vulnerable because I thought there was a good chance that Australia would be 40 for three by the end of the power play uh, because mm -hmm. I knew Headwarner and Marsh would all go hell for leather and they, on that wicket, they were likely to lose their wickets fairly quickly. Uh, the fact that they mm. managed to get to 60 for one after six overs was quite extraordinary. Uh, and... I think, you know, it's easy in retrospect, but I had wondered whether South Africa might actually use a spinner to open with on that wicket, mm. given they'd seen how much turn there was there. Not really fast turn, but nonetheless really significant. The ball that head uh, bowled uh, to get um, Janssen out first ball uh, turned 5.4%. Mm. Just extraordinary. So I mm. think... Um, that Bavuma made a mistake in keeping his pace bowlers on for as long as he did. The fifth and the sixth over between them, I think, went for something like 31 runs, maybe more. Uh, and right. those two overs are what made the difference in the, the game for me. If they'd come on, if they'd managed a wicket in the fifth over with spin, I think the shape of the game might have changed quite dramatically really quickly then. Good point. See, um, when he saw how effective Makram was, that was the turning point for me when he did not bring on Maharaj right away. The yes. guy who's actually controlled over, uh, I don't know, 10 to 25 for South Africa in every game, every every of the last four to five games, to not bring him on, I think that might have been a mis uh, missing thing there. And um, 
well he thought kurze could probably do the trick you know kurze with his aggression he was all right kurze but look australians are much happier playing kurze on that such a pitch than the maharaj i mean 1 for 24 in 10 overs yeah particularly travis head i mean travis head just thrives on pace <laughs> and the thing is that even if he mishits it if he's hitting hard there's a good chance it'll go over the field right. in the power play of course but even after the power play and uh the fact yeah. that he and smith managed to put on 45 for the third wicket uh, made a big difference uh, between him and smith when when head was dismissed they had crossed 100 the halfway point had already been reached in the chase yes right yes that was the problem i mean south africa needed one or two wickets quickly before 100 if australia were 100 for four i dare say south africa would have probably won this game quite possibly right yeah, yeah so uh, yeah it it was a missed opportunity that i think he will look back on but it's all ifs and buts yes given the yes. amount of yeah given the amount of runs they had hats off in the way they they defended it so they have to be given credit in how well they defended maharaj and shamsi completely shut the game down you you rarely see smith struggle like that between smith and marlis labashagne they just played a test match test yeah. match knock well michael atherton made a very good point in an article this week about the world cup he said hmm. fundamentally the teams that have done well have relied on a very strong core of test match players because test matches odi's more like test matches than they are like t20s and and absolutely that and you know australia's full of fair test match players so is india i mean obviously mm-hmm. they got people like sky here in there as well but on the whole the test match teams are the core of their 50 over teams and it's working well for them 100% right so from that perspective he's mr atherton has it spot on so have you in this case that that's the way to go you treat it like a test match between overs and not 12 and 37 but not as low you keep you keep that idea where you don't give your wicket away that's the point yes. and that was that was what it was all about so in this case um australia did that and even though maxwell failed i think smith carried on until english english came and joined him and they sort of took australia to a point where australia had very less to do to win even Absolutely. at 150 if even at 150 if smith had been dismissed those 24 runs i think they would have been crucial but then um english was a bit unlucky Uh, he was bowled off a yorker that sort of rolled back onto his stumps english was probably uh one of the few mm. australian batsmen who got out to a really good delivery most mm. of the australian batsmen got themselves out to be honest uh some of them took <laughs> yes. very weird shots i mean smith i don't know what <laughs> come over smith uh i thought uh maxwell was just horrible to watch why does he do wow. that on his sixth ball fifth ball you know that's just crazy stuff nah that's just maxwell being maxwell but you're right yeah. that was yeah, crazy yeah. <laughs> one big shot from maxwell that's what i think he was also thinking in his head he yeah, needed yeah. one big shot and then in the next 5 hours the game would be done yeah but yeah that was not to be <laughs> right yeah. and shamsi was on song and you needed to you needed to see shamsi off because maharaj was just then either done or he had one or two hours in hand but yeah maxwell is maxwell right English very much justified his selection over Carey in terms of the way he played that spin in that match. Yes. Took up almost 50 balls, played for more than an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, that is what you required in that stage. And yep. well with 25 runs or 28 runs required, you know Australian tail will do it. Stark comes Stark again put his head down. For me, because of those runs he made, Stark is the man of the match actually. Right? Because he put his head down if stark had been dismissed cheaply let's just say that would have been yeah. an entirely different entirely different equation but stark he took out 38 balls again played for nearly an hour he stood there just comfortably yeah. comins looked edgy comins gave a chance to even i think towards the end but stark looked absolutely solid he's like i'm he not did. i'm not getting out today right he and did. runs let them come and that's what it happened because australia had i mean 10 hours left they had 22 runs or 21 runs to get but they took seven overs getting those 21 runs that's how good south africa were so yep. it was a it was a few missed things a few missed chances potentially on the whole really difficult chances yes yes uh i mean that that catch that curtsy dropped off head was well i mean it's hard to call it a catch 
uh, it was coming back past him so fast. That catch at slip was a really tricky one. I can't remember who it was who dropped it, uh, went over his shoulder. Um, and there was another one, uh, oh, the one behind from um, De Quentin de Cop was almost impossible, uh, the one off, start, off uh, Cummins. But, yeah, yeah, the luck wasn't with South Africa in that regard, I don't think. But the person who doesn't get mentioned a lot, but he's this is the third time this year for Australia, he's been there to guide them through to win his Cummins. Yes. It's just extraordinary. He did it at Edgbaston in the very first test match against England in the Ashes. Uh, he right. did it earlier this year with uh, Maxwell uh, when mm -hmm. they put on that ridiculous partnership for the, the eighth wicket. Yeah. And then he's done it here. That was again. a test match innings as well. You're right. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you if you think about how important these two are, I would dare say even Stark, right? They are very important cogs in the lower order for Australia because English, well, he sometimes fires, sometimes he doesn't. But then these two are the important. These two are the important cogs in that order. Yeah, and uh, he showed it again, time and again. I think Cummins has it in him. He ha he's the right sort of a captain. Because he stood up today when it was required. He came back towards the end and took South Africa's wickets in the in the semi-final. And then also with the bat, he did what was required more than once. So wonderful plan to have. Your man Friday or man Wednesday, whatever you want to call him. But nonetheless, yep. think uh, think of the final now. I mean, what do we expect? I mean, Cummins has faced 186 balls so far in this uh, World Cup, uh, mm -hmm. which isn't bad for somebody coming in at number nine. Uh, Not the final. All. Okay. So, logic and every sense says that India is going to win. Um, they've got <laughs> a, a, an almost flawless side. Uh, I can't think of any weak links. I mean, I know Siri Kumar Yadav hasn't made any runs, but really he hasn't been in the position to. Uh, they haven't needed him. There's got to be uh, an extraordinary set of circumstances for Australia to win. I mean, first up, they've got to come pumped like they did for the semi-final. That that was the thing we didn't mention in talking about that game was their fielding, particularly the first 10, 12 overs. Uh, two magnificent catches from Cummins and Warner, a whole lot of uh, boundaries saved in the covers and on the, the boundary uh, that just kept the lid on South Africa really, really tight. Uh, and that sort of attitude, if they can bring that, makes a huge difference. But I can't see Australia batting first and winning in pretty well any circumstances because I think India are so good at chasing, particularly with Kohli. So the only opportunity I see for Australia to win is to actually have India bat first, to mm -hmm. hold it as tight as they can, Hope to get some early wickets in the power play by bowling the way they did against South Africa, although they won't have the conditions in their favour like they have. But have a total of less than 400 to chase. And mm. they almost mm. certainly won't get that, but they do have the possibility. With uh, Marsh, Warner, Head and Maxwell, they've got four players who can hit it hard and get runs fast. If a couple right. of those came off in a chase, you'd get there. Uh, I don't think they will. I think India are too good a team to allow them the space to be able to do that. And their bowling, their fast bowling is is too uh, well controlled and their spin bowling will bamboozle uh, most of those. Mm. Although, you know, particularly with Marsh and Maxwell, if they actually get in, they're much better with spin. Um but their first 20 or so runs, they're much more vulnerable. Uh, but I can't see past India winning this because they are hmm. head and shoulders above any other team in terms of talent, in terms of performance, and in terms of form at the moment. Um, so I think it's a very, very outside chance of Australia winning. It's going to be fine weather. It's not going to be hmm. uh, excessively humid. It's going to be warm mid-30s. Uh, uh, but not as, as oppressive as it has been in some games. Uh, and I think it's going to be a pitch where um, there will be a bit of turn, but not huge amounts, as you suggested. The highest score at mm. about, about so far in this World Cup has only been 286, 
which England Australia made against England. <coughs> but in uh, but in all the games so far, the team chasing mm. has won, except in the Australia in England game, and that's because England were just shit. Um, yeah. They should have, should have won that game chasing 286, but they didn't. Um, so I, I tend to think the field, the team chasing is is better like set at Ahmedabad, but uh, India is quite capable of scoring well over 400 and making it almost impossible. Indeed. I mean, it really goes with um, whether uh, the team winning the toss will bat or bowl first. It might not be a bad bowl first sort of a scenario. Yes. Both teams have a confident bowling attack. Right, yes. but for me, it's about the opening matchups. I think Sharma Gill versus Stark Hazelwood, or Warner and Head versus you know Shami and uh, Siraj. Yes. Sorry, uh, Bumrah and Siraj. So yeah. these are the real first matchups I would like to talk about. Where it's quite mouthwatering. You can't stay away from the starting of either innings. It's going to be fantastic. Also, I think uh, what you already brought up, Zampa versus the Indian top order for me kohli has a little bit of a well some say he's a little bit wary against leg break uh, mm. but the ball needs to turn as well i suppose i mean that old joke where zampa doesn't turn the ball but outside of that um zampa has been very effective against top order batters in as much that he's not quite shut the game down much like a maharaj did or much like jadeja can sometimes but look it's 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 about what you can do if if you can take out one or two batters like Kohli or, you know, uh, maybe even uh, Rahul potentially, that could be enough for Australia to keep India. If India were to be batting first, they still get off to a flyer. That will be the one point where India will be a little bit, little bit wary. It's true. I think I, I don't have, I haven't done the study to, to establish this, but my gut feeling is that Zampa has been at his most effective when batting sides have felt under pressure to score uh, and taking risks against him that, you know, he's had a number caught on the boundary, which isn't uh, an indication of a bad ball necessarily. Sometimes it's it's really well bowled and the trap is set. Uh, but he also gets some, as most leg spinners do, with a rubbish ball from time to time. I don't think mm. India are nearly as prone to fall to a rubbish ball. Uh, the key will be whether they're feeding under some scoring pressure when he comes on to bowl. And the history to date has been that because Rahul and Gill have done very well opening, that they've been able to mm. take it relatively easy from, say, overs 15 to 35 without feeling the pressure of the need to score fast. Absolutely. Um, you have it right. So that is the one thing he may he may find it a bit tough. Then Maxwell and Head will need to chip in because those middle-overs... I think um, Maxwell did a wonderful job also against uh, South Africa. So, if you think about it, I think they might be as crucial as Zampa in the middle overs, the, these three spinners for Australia. Uh, yes, although there's a, there's a part of me that believes that Maxwell is a bit of a con job <laughs> in that he, he gets through his overs really fast, which I think is a really good idea. Uh, and he he trundles, and against South Africa, nobody took him on uh, right. because of the the state of the scoreboard. He was able to get through a lot of overs at very little expense because of that. I don't see India allowing him to do that. I think they're going to challenge him in a big way to use their feet more because the ball's not going to be turning as much as it was in that match. And uh, <laughs> excuse me. And I, yeah. I would be surprised if he gets to bowl a full te 10 overs. I really would. Um, because I think there's a very strong chance he, he'll be under a lot of pressure from them. Uh, Head may bowl, bowl a couple just to see what's happening, but he's also a risk. I mean, I was amazed when he took those two wickets uh, against South Africa because he'd been hit for two fours in the first two balls. And I thought, well, here we go. But yeah, he, he did well, but he's he's not uh, a prospect for more than four or five overs at most, I would imagine. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. I mean, the good thing is they can always call on Marsh if they need some some backup in terms of uh, bowling. They've bowled him very little this tournament, but he actually has done reasonably well in terms of uh, taking wickets when he has bowled. Um, mm -hmm. 
he's only bowled uh, 11 overs all up, but he's taken a couple of wickets. Uh, and he's he has gone at eight runs an over, but he only bowls three or four overs. That's not the end of the world. Absolutely. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. So the other way around, the Indian spinners versus the Australian middle order. March down to Maxwell. Maybe even English. How do you see this? Uh, that is really problematic. As I said before, Marsh is particularly vulnerable early on in an innings, uh, both to spin and to pace, to be honest. But I think there's a very good chance uh, that if he's facing up to spin before he's reached 10, then he'll be dead. Uh, if he's got to 20 or more, then he has much more confidence in himself and he uses his feet much better. Uh, so I would say there's a real chance that they will seek to attack him with spin early in his innings. Although, obviously, you know, it depends what's happened in, in the power play and so on. Yeah, as far as Head and uh, Warner are concerned, they'll just go hell for leather no matter what. And they'll probably fall relatively early on. But if they don't, Warner manages to stay on. He could be uh, quite a threat to India. He's got an extraordinary record in World Cups when you look at it um, and on Indian pitches. In this tournament, he's done really well. Uh, and he scored, what, 400, uh, 528 runs. He scored an average of 52. He hasn't really... Uh, well, he's got 200, hasn't he? So that's not bad. So he's the key wicket from their point of view. Australia can't afford for him just to get 40 or 50 and get out. They need him to, to really score. But again, he's a, he's a player who's much better against the spinners once he's established. The middle order, Labashain against spin, frankly, it's a, it's a mystery as to how he makes any runs at all. He was absolutely bamboozled against South Africa the other day. Smith yeah, Smith's not in his, his top form at the moment. Uh, and if there's uh, scoreboard pressure on, he's going to be very vulnerable. But the truth is, Jadeja in particular is such a good bowler. I can't see him not getting success if he's got scoreboard pressure on his side. Uh, and that makes a big difference to a spinner's success. Right. Now, all of these with uh, notwithstanding, I think it's going to be a day for champion players on both sides somebody who can stand up in the final final occasion the big occasion india indeed are finely tuned they have enough of these champion players but so do australia and you never write australia off when it comes to a finals right i mean the way they've yeah. come back from what looked like potentially a very tricky situation that itself will give them a lot of confidence and yes. yeah as yeah. we discussed australia being australia you never write them off so with these things in consideration, first of all, what do you see as a potential score for the final, whichever team bats first? Or how much will they make and will it be a successful chase or not? I think if India bats first, they'll make at least 350 and mm. they won't, it won't be chased down. If mm. Australia bats first, I don't think they'll make 300 uh, and India will chase it down. So either way, India win. <laughs> yeah, I, let's I don't see. see any other likelihood. Uh, well, look, as an India fan, I'm more than happy if that follows. Right? What's your prediction? Uh, I think uh, Australia will bat first. And India will um, keep them down to around 260. And then there will be a successful chase in the 44th over with about there four wickets. Oh, that's nice and specific. Okay, Very, we got, yeah. got you on record now. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's going to go out hopefully later today, so it's going to be on record before the Excellent. finals. All right. Either way, you don't want to miss the game tomorrow. You you want to be there the full time. And uh, we wish uh, many of our listeners also will be able to tune in to Guerrilla Cricket and enjoy the occasion with us. Absolutely. All right. Those were all the World Cup-related discussions. Now, if you were to look off-field, there are already some repercussions for multiple teams. So, in this case, Babar Azam has resigned from Pakistan captaincy from all formats. And he's been... That's a relief. Well, yeah. <laughs> I agree. But he's been replaced by Afridi, Shaheen Shah Afridi, as the T20I captain and Shan Masood as the 
uh, test captain. So first, you said it's a relief. Would you like to elucidate? I don't think Baba was a good captain. Certainly during this World Cup, his on-field leadership didn't give any indication of uh, getting the team either G'd up or uh, showing any uh, originality in terms of field placements and so on. It was it was very much formulaic. Mm. Uh, I did. I didn't see it. The other thing is, I wonder if it's had an impact on his batting because, generally speaking, he was pretty disappointing uh, in terms of his scoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think let him do what he's really good at. I mean, he is a brilliant batsman, uh, and that was not in evidence during the last seven weeks. So I think that's good. And I think, I mean, I mean, from everything you read. You've got to take everything with a pinch of salt, but there's a sense of a lot of uh, discontent in in the Pakistan camp generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's nothing new, I know. It's sort of predictable that if things are going to be going on off field, that the teams that are going to be top of the list are going to be Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Zimbabwe, and the United States. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, or now France, possibly, when it comes to women's cricket. Right. But um, it's sort of nothing new, is it? I have a vested interest, I have to say, because about four weeks from now, mm. uh, Pakistan are going to be playing in the first test uh, half an hour from me at the Optus or the Perth Stadium. Right. And I really, really want to see Afridi and Ralph at the top of their form. Right. Because it's going to be a fast, bouncy wicket, uh, which is going to give them a really good chance of doing something uh, that's good to watch. So... I'm hoping they, they get their shit together. I really do. Mm, mm. Ah, that's going to be quite something. But uh, coming back to Azam, you're right. It was a bit formulaic. Well, he, he never looked like a natural leader on the field. And well, he's had his go. No. He's had his go. And one day it may come back to him, as these things can. But uh, I'm hoping, you know, he's he's allowed to focus on him being the best batsman in this team and an all-format batsman, all-format winner. Let me call it like that. So... This is a good thing. And I think Shaheen Shafridi is a potentially very positive move in limited overs cricket simply because he's done well for Lahore Kalandars in the PSL and won them two trophies back-to-back. And that's a good appointment. And he's he looks like a natural leader, by the way. Uh, whether he has um, yeah. whether he has the nows and whether he'll get the backing of everyone in this team, those are things to be looked at. Uh, you're never sure sometimes with Pakistan. Uh, but... That's something that is going to be very crucial. And Shan Masood is a good appointment as well, I would say, at least but in the stop gap, because he's never a, f- a direct pick in the Pakistan 11 in the tests. But that's not a bad pick to see if, yeah, Mohammad Rizwan lost his place in the test 11. Otherwise, he could have been the next cap of the rank when it comes to captaincy. So, but until either one of yeah. Shafiq. <clears throat> Maybe even Imamul Haq. There are a couple of youngsters who are sort of there and thereabouts in the team who can probably become the next skipper. But until then, for the next year or two, this is not a bad appointment at all for me. No, no, I think that's right. The other thing is that Afridi brings uh, enthusiasm uh, on the field that you you can it communicates itself. So I I really like his character that, and and that hopefully will come through the rest of the team as well. Right. That's absolutely important. Wahab Riyaz has been appointed the chief selector. Any surprises there for you? No. Uh, nothing surprises me in terms of Pakistan administration. Uh, no. I just, you know, wait till next month. It might be different. Mm. You just never know, do you? It, it, I've got no idea how their system works, how intertwined it is with the government, with the military uh, <laughs> Pakistan is a complete mystery in terms of how anything ever gets done in the cricket world because it must be so frustrating for the players themselves to constantly see this political battle going on about them. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it won't. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard right. to know. No, it all remains to be seen. You're right. We can look at um, the same scenario where some other teams are also having some repercussions. Indian coach Rahul Dravid, his his contract is up for renewal or not. So there have been a lot of discussions, but the Indian board is 
has not taken any call for the t20 series that happens following the world cup i think vivas lakshman and uh, another set of people who are usually at the national cricket academy will take charge so that's not a problem i think but that means uh, bcci have a little bit more time to decide because i think this team has done well i mean they didn't start as well as most people expected but they have grown in stature right and if they mm-hmm. win the world cup i dare say that's that's the final that's the final proof bcci will need that if dravid wants it the coaching job will be his for another two years i would think you you would you would think so i mean you can't fault the results can you and uh yeah you know, so often if a team does badly the coach is the one to blame so if the team's done well the coach should be able to take some credit i would have thought right so i would say yes he's built this unit into a very very competent unit they have an excellent uh, uh, outlook even going forward in odis so he's built it into the team yes. that is something really really worth fighting so whether he wants to keep uh, whether he wants to keep this um, job he 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 had stepped away from the india captaincy earlier when it was his turn when he said it was actually eating into his his peace of mind and life and so on so that that i mean he's a very yeah. clever clever individual who knows what he's all about so from that perspective yeah. it might not be a bad thing one way or the other maybe lakshman is also ready if required to step in to the breach uh, if a dravid steps away but there are some other potential non indian candidates who might be able to take this indian team to the next level but all of this remains to be seen how it goes so something to look forward to some small discussion points for india but all those after the finals surely right yes yeah absolutely right. yeah sri lankan cricket board slc has been suspended because of government interference in the short term and in the long term i mean things may not remain the same we know that but in the short term and the long term how do you see this panning out messi well i think what what's happened is that the existing members of the sri lankan cricket uh, association is it or board whatever it is uh have been taken a preemptive strike by asking the icc to suspend mm. them uh because of the action taken by the sri lankan government yeah. uh to get rid of them <laughs> and uh, it's an ongoing battle in the courts there apart from anything else and with an act of parliament being proposed mm. uh around it which seems crazy to me but it's the way it is um i think it's a really interesting thing that when it comes to relatively minor nations in the scheme of things the icc is quite happy to step in and lay down the law as it did in zimbabwe yeah. um previously and i think in the us as as no the us is different yeah. reasons but um yeah you know, if the, that sort of thing happened in a, a major nation uh there would be absolute uh, uproar yeah. because the truth is that as you well know indian politics and cricket are very very closely aligned mm. uh but they're probably a little more subtle about it in some ways uh, in terms of actually making sure they got competent people in there running it i don't know the ins and outs of what's going on in sri lankan cricket uh and what really frustrates me about all of this is that it's the players who end up being the ones who are suffering because they have uncertainty about what's going on for them hmm. uh from something they have actually no involvement in whatsoever they just trying to do their best mm-hmm. and all the time there's shit going on about which distracts from what they're there for right um so how this will resolve i don't know but i suspect the existing board members will probably do relatively well out of it whether they're any good at their jobs or not i've got no idea though Mm. <laughs> in terms of the the longer term ramifications sri lanka in the t20 world cup in june um the will somehow or other a way will be found for them to compete in that even if there is a suspension i think you can pretty much guarantee that one way or another you know if afghanistan can participate when well i won't go into what's going on there then surely mm. uh, sri lanka can as well Um, yeah so yeah it, it'll be interesting to follow but i think it's almost impossible to predict <laughs> well look if you were to think of such events before there has been government interference and um sri lankan board has been 
let's say demoted previously 2015 it happened this time they have been suspended and you're right it was a preemptive thing from the existing board so to say but what does it mean when it comes to their participation in the upcoming world cup let's just say and any other icc trophy i mean world cup is still far enough away that things may sort themselves out in the next couple of months or in the beginning of next year and it may not be much of a discussion point but uh, what happens if it doesn't well if it doesn't then there's another place up for grabs isn't there maybe they'll find one of the other qualifiers i noticed the uh, the last qualification uh, rounds for the two african qualifiers uh, start next week mm. or this week actually pretty well um but you know if there's another spot opens up because of this so much the better as long as they don't just mm. cancel it just give it to someone else on the basis of they're the best uh, losing qualifier or something like that yeah okay somebody who lost in a final for example in the qualifiers yeah yeah, yeah. okay uh it's going to be interesting how it goes but uh, quite a lot of uh, intrigue if one were to keep the ice on this topic i think we will also be discussing it in the upcoming uh, episodes i have no doubt on that well the one other thing you i think you mentioned was the fallout for england mm. it's, it's been interesting to look at the team they selected to, to tour the west indies uh over the next few mm. weeks they are moving towards uh younger players but it still strikes me as fairly confused mm. england have been so bad in this tournament that you know winning those uh, three games doesn't redeem them in any way that was when none of it mattered at all mm. and I, i won't go back over the the stuffed selection and how they got where they are what i would say though is that they won the 2019 world cup uh just uh on the basis of a very keen plan driven by owen morgan with support from the the board mm-hmm. and the coach mm-hmm. uh in a quite ruthless manner and i think if they they're serious about the next world cup in south africa and namibia and zimbabwe mm. uh then they need to start almost at once in terms of just saying okay we need to look at purging now yes the t20 world cup gets in the way a bit but <clears throat> they need to sort out who they're going to have leading them and it shouldn't be josh but they're in a fit mm. and they need then to and this may happen sort of after the beginning of the the summer in europe right. but they need to dedicate themselves to it in a way that they haven't done for this they've just written, written on past glories coming up to this one and it clearly wasn't good enough uh and that's not good for cricket as a whole when they come in with a team that's just bits and bobs and looking for excuses uh so yeah it it's it's going to be interesting because rob key spoke i thought relatively honestly about having lost photosite or test crew mm. uh but that's maybe an explanation it's not an excuse uh because frankly they've got responsibility for both and uh you can do both at once let's face it india and australia are in the final of the t20 world cup having just contested the final of the world test championship um so you know it can be done somehow you got to find that balance hmm. well shake up a little bit is good would they be going for an all out shake up in as much that appoint a new captain and everything i would hope so yeah. um i i thought josh butler was a very mediocre captain right through this world cup mm-hmm. uh and I, i suspect it didn't help with his performance with the bad either no. um but I, i don't think he performed well either on the field or with the media and uh i just don't think he's cut out for for the job <laughs> to be honest he's a he's i mean just think back he is a brilliant brilliant batter mm-hmm. uh in white ball cricket particularly t20 of mm-hmm. course and i'd expect him to be captain for england going into the t20 world cup uh but once that's done that's done mm. uh they need to move on and you don't necessarily have to have the same t20 captain as you do odi captain either that's the other thing everybody sort of lumps white ball into the same basket but it's not it's so not you look at the difference in performance of people uh between the two formats and you may be looking at a totally different pool to draw on for your captain as well all right i mean if they want a new captain who would it be 
That I don't know. Uh, I don't know enough about the the depth of English cricket to be able to to make that assessment. Um, but they need someone with real vision and passion around the game and uh, an understanding of how it works. How it is to be a leader in that space, and that's certainly something Josh Butler didn't have, uh, in my judgment. You know, Ben Stokes has done it brilliantly at the Test level. Owen Morgan did it brilliantly. Neither of them people I particularly like, but they're brilliant captains in the, those circumstances. You know, it's time to find somebody else to do it in the white ball area who really brings that passion and that understanding and leadership. And it may not be part of the existing team. That's the other thing. So basically, I'm just cutting it down and not building it up because I don't know. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, somebody like Zach Crawley, how about I give you a name to work with? Well, that that's a maybe. Um, I don't know enough about Zach Crawley other than he used to have an amazing capacity to play the French cut. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he came came good on the test arena. Whether he's good enough at the, the ODI level, I don't know. Maybe he is. And is he a good leader? I've got no idea. Mm. None whatsoever. Right. You know, it's... It's always like that. You know, I, I think of what happened with Australia with uh, a vacancy for the women's captain, so they put Alyssa Healy in, who's been a great performer for Australia. Mm. But she's not a good captain. She really isn't. So what do you do? Do you, <clears throat> you, you look around to see who's doing a decent job in the BBL or what? Um, and I don't have a, a solution to it, but it makes such a difference having a really switched on captain in those circumstances. Uh, and it's not easy. Very good. May have to try some people out first, but you also need, and I don't know if Matthew Mott is this person. You need someone who's got a real passion and an understanding of the, the player pool and what's needed to build something. Mm -hmm. See, Matthew Mott was very successful as Australia's women's coach, right. but he was also gifted with a, an amazingly talented oh, group come of on, I mean, who were so far ahead of everywhere else. Meg Lanning as well, right? The leader in Meg Lanning he had was quite quite exemplary, yeah. I think. All right. Something to look forward to. I hope they don't give it to Ben Stokes. That's all I want. Oh, no, they won't. They won't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, God, don't start me up. He should never have been in India in the first place, but never mm. mind. That's another story. <laughs> Absolutely, right? Indeed. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for your thoughts and more importantly for your participation. I know I know we are missing a bit of cricket, so it's the right time to talk a little bit of cricket before the big event. So thank you for uh, you know making the time for me. My pleasure, Ajit. I look forward to uh, tomorrow's final and may we all enjoy it, whoever wins. Absolutely. And may the best team win is all I can say. Oh, well, in that case, India's won. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Ajit. I didn't want to say it in those terms, but you get it. Thanks and looking forward to having you again sometime in the future. We wish all our listeners a good day, wherever they may be listening from. We wish to have your company in the upcoming episodes as well, as always. Thank you very much. Uh, have a nice day. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.